Welcome. Hi. I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey, everyone. This is Mickey. You are listening to Wikipedia, and today on the show, I get to sit down and chat to Tom Williams. Anyone who is involved in running, particularly marathon running, will be well familiar with Tom. So Tom is the Chief Operating Officer of Parkrun and former Marathon Talk co-host. And we talk all about building community and connection through running. So Tom, as Global Chief Operating Officer of Parkrun, helps organize the incredibly successful charity that provides free timed 5k runs for people around the world. At the time of us recording this, Parkrun has had over 60 million interactions of participants and all volunteers with an average of over 200 people in each event each week, supporting people to run over 200 million kilometers in total, which is an amazing feat. So Tom shares with us the spirit, the culture and ethos of inspiring people to exercise through Parkrun and the impact that the pandemic has had on Parkrun and why it is potentially even more important now to participate. Of course, alongside Parkrun, Tom was also co-host of Marathon Talk with Martin Yelling, which is another incredibly successful podcast, and he was co-host up until 2019, then stepped down to focus on his role at Parkrun, but of course making regular guest appearances. Now, Marathon Talk actually has just retired at 600 episodes, and Tom and I sat down to speak on the eve of the release of that episode in mid-January. So we were able to discuss the impact of Marathon Talk with regards to the inception of it and the ongoing commitment that it created for Tom and the positive impact this had on Tom's well-being. So we do uh, talk about uh, these two things and a number of other topics that sort of spring from the current climate of the pandemic a little bit, but also much more importantly, the ability to build that connection and community through running. Tom can be found at Parkrun, which is www.parkrun.com parkrun.com or over on Twitter at Tom Williams 1974 and we've included the links to both of those in the show notes. Now before we get on to the interview I'd just like to remind you the best way you can support the podcast is to jump on your favorite podcast platform and hit subscribe that would be amazing and if you feel like leaving a five-star review that would also be wonderful. If you want to go that extra mile I do have a number of meal plans that you can sign up for on mickeywillardin.com including my very basic recipe access portal which provides you with over 800 recipes regularly updated, a weekly email, access to our private Facebook group where we have a written Q&A forum each week and regular Facebook lives and the ability for me to answer any of your nutrition related questions through my messaging system. All right, team, please enjoy my conversation with Tom Williams. Tom, thank 
you so much for taking the time to chat to me. What is very early morning and probably quite cold and dark for you. Um, yeah. There are a couple of terms which spring to mind when I think about you, and one of them is service to the running community through Marathon Talk and also, of course, through Park Run. And, of course, connection, which both of these things have provided us runners the platform to be able to connect with each other worldwide, particularly important right now. I've got to say, though, I didn't yeah. think that I'd be opening the podcast asking you how you felt about that bombshell that was dropped last week. Marathon Talk, 600 <laughs> episodes in Gornberger. 600 and out, I know. It's um, it, it's quite a thing. I think... Um, I mean, Martin and I started it in 2010 and mm. we didn't have kids. Well, I certainly didn't have kids. Martin might have had Ruby, actually. I can't remember whether Ruby was teeny tiny mm. or whether she hadn't been born yet. But anyway, we we lived in different places than we live now. We had different lives we, ha we have now. I, I Part Run existed, but I wasn't, um, I'd started an event, but I wasn't working for Part Run and... And so I think we, of course, we were we were twelve years younger as well, which makes a big difference. <laughs> and I think um, you know it ran its course, and I, and I think probably we we always wanted to we we never set a, uh, we, we'll do it for this long or that long. We just thought yeah. we'll just do it while we enjoy it, and we always enjoyed it. And we you know we're absolute best friends as a result of doing it, which is one which is really really wonderful and probably the the best gift either or so speaking for myself that I've had from it. That, that Martin, Liz and the kids are, are huge parts of our family really now too. But I think it had got to the point where it just wasn't lighting our fires like it used to. And I think we, we mm. kind of felt, I mean, I stepped away a year or so ago, mm. um, maybe two years ago. Um, but I, I think we both wanted to it, never to resent it and never to, not for it not to turn into something you think, oh, I'm not doing that again. Oh, it's rubbish. Or, and also not become very good at it. Because I think when you're not passionate about something, that was for me, I think the reason why I left after about 500 episodes, mm -hmm. I just thought I'm going to become not very good at this because, it, it, you know, it's not really inspiring me. And that's not, a, that's just a, that's not a criticism of any individual. It was just a change in circumstances and life. And also this, you know, the sport of of running, you know, I think, probably lost you know we both lost some interest in the kind of the elite end, the sport end of of running um it lost its way for a bit and it seems to have found it again a little bit i mean you know we, we i think jess judd ran 67 minutes for a half marathon at houston yeah. over the weekend um and i think sarah hall also ran quicker than that 67 15 or something and it starts maybe getting interesting again you know i, I don't know but um but yeah, there we go. It's 600 and out. And I think we're exceptionally proud of, of what it became and what it was. And it's now bookended as, as that was it, 600 episodes. Yeah, I know. And then, do you know, it feels so weird to think that it's not going to be there because it's just been this absolute kind of solid mm. thing that you can count on week on week as a runner. You know, you sort mm. of you check on in with how, how your mates are going because, you know, and I've yeah, heard you yeah, talk yeah. on a podcast before about how, you know, people listen to podcast for very different reasons. And I know people listen to Fitter Radio, which is one I'm a co-host of yeah. with my mate Bevan, and we are not 600 episodes. We started 2012, but a lot of people just tune in to see what we're talking about and really don't have a lot of interest yeah. in what the athletes are doing and what the race results are yeah, and yeah, yeah. that training tip or whatever. It's just sort of they like to hear our voices in their, in their um, earbuds as they're going and doing their training, which is quite, you know... That's sort of the the role, I suppose, that podcasts are playing for pe a lot of people these days. 
Definitely, definitely. And, you know, when we set up Marathon Talk, um, we we spoke to Bevan and John from, from, from what was then called Ironman Talk um, mm. about what to do. Because um, I was a massive Ironman Talk fan, um, being an Ironman triathlete at the time. And, you know, I, it, it was weird for me speaking to to Bevan there in 2000, what would have been 2009, actually, because 2000, we started January 2010. So, and thinking, God, I know so much about you and you know nothing about me because I'm just a listener. And, and I know yeah. all your trials and tribulations of life, really. Um, uh, and, and, and I think that you know, we, we learned a lot from, from people like that around sharing the personal stuff, you know, is really, really important. It's making that connection, um, you know, and really making it a social thing. And, and actually this week we've done a thing on Marathon Talk where we've got people to send in um, uh, like sound bites of what mm-hmm. marathon talk meant to them and it's and we're going to put them in the show and, and it's incredible you know the impact and some of these people like some of the people have become great friends and so you know you're like oh such and such has sent something in oh yeah i knew they would but then other people you think oh, i've never even i'm not sure you've ever emailed in i've never met you i've never heard yeah. from you i didn't know you're out there and yet this little chat we've been having and later with holly once once i left as as change your life in a really profound way and I didn't even know it's amazing really it is amazing isn't it and it's it makes it you appreciate Mm. the privilege you have when you sort of step behind a microphone and then you just talk about your day you talk about sort of what's going on with you and you forget that like I don't know about you Tom but almost every time I we switch record off I complete I forget what I am talking about and I don't even think about what it was I've said because I'm really just having a a chat to my mate and so people come up to me and they they repeat back to me what I've said I'm like huh did I even really did we discuss that even it doesn't I don't even think about it and I think that's I I think responsibility um, as well you know you have a responsibility, I think, to be authentic. I really do think that. I think that was something I felt really, really, really strongly over the entire 10 years I did Marathon Talk was I've got to be really authentic here. I can never, ever say something that I don't believe in because people are really listening mm-hmm. to it and really taking yeah. it on board and really believing in things or not. You know, plenty of people think I'm, I'm you know. <laughs> an idiot or something i don't know but i'm authentic and and i think when people are when you're not authentic i think you're really doing a disservice to to people who are listening to what you're saying because a lot of people are really listening to what you're saying yeah no i totally agree and of course you see as you've said you know over the last couple of years you've stepped back from marathon talk mm. but i don't doubt that it's sort of coming to an end or despite the fact that it's coming at a nice round number of 600 which I know that you know that mm. probably brings you a small amount of joy um, <laughs> um it, like it will I imagine still feel like a little bit of a loss I don't know and because I've heard you chat on another podcast actually about how you didn't really realize at the time but that weekly chicken with Martin were you guys at the other end you know at each different kind of ends of the country probably got that wrong I'm not very good with geography but um, that it was almost like this, that's what sort of lifted you or kept you lifted on certain weeks when, for whatever reason, the stress of life or work sort of just kind of can grind you down. You'd always leave mm. the sort of recording of Marathon Talk and just feel a little bit better and you didn't really connect the two as this really good mental health sort of intervention or well, not intervention, I suppose, strategy. Absolutely right. I think, you know, um, uh, you know I've... I already miss talking to Martin so regularly, I think. And you just don't, you need, you shouldn't need an excuse, you know, you shouldn't need an excuse to schedule a call with a friend. 
but you kind of often do or i often i often do and i I try and make more of an effort to to you know reach out to him and send him because we are opposite ends of the country i'm in north yorkshire and he's on the south coast um but Mm. you know that you know if you if you were gonna if you were kind of prescribing health to say to somebody pick yeah health into and it would be an intervention really if you or a strategy if you 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 would say somebody pick a friend and phone them religiously for an hour every single week and just chat whatever whether you think you need to or not and set a time for it so whatever every friday when we spoke marathon talk every kind of tuesday normally about six o'clock or something every tuesday at six ring this friend for 10 years Yeah, I guarantee yeah. it would make a massive impact on your health, and that's it, that's it, that's the totality of it. It's as simple as that, and it's as pure as that. And you know, we went through all kinds of crazy things. I mean, we never fell out, which is which is great. You know, we've always, we've always been really good friends. We've never fallen out about about anything, uh, which is which is really nice. Um, but yeah, and and I miss that already because I mean, I stopped doing that a year and a half ago, actually. And it was sort of interesting timing with that too. You know, it's almost like an observation. It's like you move back from Marathon Talk and you're, and then you're, because of course your role in Parkrun, which obviously we want to talk about, that's, you know, clearly a very busy thing for you in addition to just life in general. And then we're hit with this pandemic where our usual outlets for stress relief, where we connect with friends, where we exercise, is suddenly sort of taken away. And then over the last two years, I mean, they're back, but they're not back. You know, they're not back for a lot of people the way that we sort of grew to love them and grew to sort of rely on them like it's been a really mm. crazy time yeah it's been a remarkable time i mean i don't think um i don't think well and nobody could have envisaged, envisaged the last two years i don't think it's um and even now where we are now i, I don't think anybody could have envisaged that <laughs> that either mm. it's it's um you know uh, I think we've seen good and bad in, in, in society, haven't you? You've seen, you've seen amazing compassion and empathy and uh, amazing support and creativity. And, but also you've seen, uh, you know, amazing, you know, lack of empathy and lack of compassion. And, you know, you've seen both sides of society. And it's, it's been a bit worrying for me how quickly, um, I don't know, how quickly things went wrong in term, in my opinion in terms of society in terms of you know some things some types of restrictions mm. whatever that might be and you know that's that's worrying and I, I hope our kids are learning from it and we'll do a better job yeah <laughs> when it's their turn in 20 years time and Tom obviously we're going to be chatting about parkrun and just sort of how you know the origin of parkrun and and how mm. it sort of grew and sort of ex- well, it feels like it exploded I'm sure it didn't for you sort of down on the ground floor I know it sort mm. of probably took a or as I understand took a few years to sort of grow and develop mm. but it feels like it is it has exploded how has the pandemic affected parkrun at the operating level it's a really good question. I mean, uh, in in terms of, I mean, we have two sort of ways it can be affected. So one is a health and well-being thing. So you know, who who's been affected? Affected of people who's not come back or who suffered most, and 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 then there's the operational side. And really, it's it's Chrissy Wellington who is our um, global lead for health and well-being. Um, the triathlete Chrissy Wellington. Mm. Um, it, she you know she oversees a lot of our health and well-being stuff. Um, the operational stuff really comes back to to me, and and it's a really good question. And and 
you know, we try to when when the pandemic hit in February, March 2020, we had to close down quite quickly. You know, things unraveled quite fast, didn't they, globally, you know, from uh, it's not really going to be anything here. I mean, I don't know what it was like in New Zealand, but certainly mm. in the UK. Oh, it's, you know, it's something that's happening in other countries to suddenly everything closing down. And, and that was a relatively straightforward process, um, you know, caught everybody off guard, but we but we did it and we operate in 20 three countries now, 22 countries then actually. We were about to start Austria and we hadn't. So 22 countries then. We closed everything down. And then we had um, some discussions about what does, it, what does it mean? And one of the fundamental things we agreed, so we're char- overall we're a charity, so Part One Global is a charity based in the UK. So we agreed with the, with the global, tr- when we, we sat down, when everything closed down, we sat down with the trustees, we sat down with our, our kind of staff team. We said, what does this mean? How do we come back? Because at that point in time, nobody knew whether it was going to be a month or 10 years or anything in between. And we agreed that we must protect the health and well-being components of Park Run, which come with being open and accessible and free, and you don't have to pre-register and, and, and so on. Um, and actually, we mustn't come back in a way that breaks those potentially even at the cost of not coming back now obviously we'd we'd have to have that discussion if if it ever came to it if you know if we were saying okay let's say you've got to, you've got to limit it to 50 people and have pre-registration which would kill the health and well-being component of it we, you know we can't do that as we are now anyway mm. um i mean those have been questions that have been asked for us a lot recently where where wales brought in some restrictions um but that would you you couldn't that 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 would impact those most they needed physical activity the most and so i don't think we'd have brought it back like that so we we decided let's let's design a way parkrun can return as safely in inverted commas as safely as possible mm-hmm. in terms of covid but without breaking the essence of what parkrun is and and we set about writing our our parkrun framework which anybody can see at volunteer.parkrun.com we set about writing that framework we based it on the evidence, so we so we commissioned ev- uh, a university in the United Kingdom to review all of the evidence around outdoor transmission. Um, we then, using that as a kind of a foundation, the evidence around outdoor outdoor transmission or lack of outdoor transmission, we then um, we then created this COVID framework, which would apply to every event in the world, and it had to be um, sustainable and scalable. You know, we couldn't have you do this in this part of the world this in this part of the world this in this part of the world you know we we couldn't add loads of complexity to a really simple model you know on our our biggest ever weekend we processed 400 and i think 401 or 410,000 walks jogs and runs and another 30,000 volunteers you know all for free all really simply all on the same day and that relies on lots of little things in the background that make it simple to do and cheap to do and so on Mm. And so we wrote that framework, and then we got an, uh, then we got um, a, a professor of infectious disease sort of transmission and to model. Okay, if part runs happen under this framework, what's what is the likelihood of impact of of infection in a community based on prevalence levels of the virus and based on you know the various things like we limited our pre-event briefing to two minutes and so on. And he showed that to, you know, he modeled that to be exceptionally, exceptionally low risk. And so, and so then we reopened and we moved forwards with that. And so it was, it was a really, really, really big undertaking. You know, I sit here in the middle of it knowing, you know, I think at the week, this weekend gone, I think we had 220,000 people at Parkrun events around the world. Amazing. 
and I take that responsibility really, really seriously. You know, I, you know, we have a team that that work on how that should be. You know, our COVID framework, our operating framework, our principles. I'm ultimately responsible for that, and you know, I, I do take that really, really, really. We do take that really, really, really seriously because we don't want to be putting people in exposing people to you know uh, unacceptable levels of risk in in anything we do you know um uh, so yeah so it was a big thing no of course and of course the risk of not going ahead you then lose one of the massive benefits of parkrun don't you which is one of the reasons and i've heard you talk mm. about it before which is which did make me laugh but also so resonated that it was like a social intervention yeah. for a lonely bloke that's how parkrun sort of developed you know and for us not to have access to be able to go along to our local park run and hang out with 200 mm-hmm. of our now mates to then go for a run and kind of clock in our times and have a banana afterwards yeah. then jog home. Like the the risks associated with kind of removing that for us, I think from a mental health perspective, that's the stuff I feel like we're, that's a fallout that we could be dealing with, which is just as important. Definitely, definitely. And that was the most, I think, frustrating thing is we'd we'd created this you know we turned what you know Paul Sinton Hewitt had created part run as you know initially a kind of a social intervention for himself actually as you know as we kind of as we reflected on it Paul and I over the years um and then realized we realized that we all have that need to be social and active and outdoors you know at different levels you know some people are more extrovert than others but we all I think every single human being I think has that in them somewhere to be to be outdoors and in the company of others in some way and to be active and we'd create this wonderful thing over the last you know uh, 17 and a half years now 15 and a half years then and then suddenly right when the world needed it the most it was taken away Mm. And, I, and I kind of I do understand and I agree that it, it that it was the right thing to do to close it at the time so when when it I don't know how much of our, of our health people get publicity over in New Zealand but they're probably one of the most credible um, health leaders in this country has turned out to be Jonathan Van Tam who was the deputy chief medical officer still is actually he's about to stand out from that role but he really has been credible in the public eye here and and credible professionally and really uh, most people would probably agree Jonathan Van Tam's done a really good job of of as in his role his role of guiding the country through the through the pandemic um and he is a massive keen part runner in fact he was at part runner this saturday he's a massive keen part runner and he's part run for about 7 or 8 years i think and he actually rang us up in March 2020 and and myself and a, and a couple of colleagues I can't remember who it was it would have been Nick Pearson maybe I can't remember but myself and a couple of others had a conversation with Jonathan Van Tam and Jonathan Van Tam was saying look part runs really really important I wonder if there's a way we can keep it open safely at this time and remember this is we don't know what we know now this is March 2020 and we we all agreed with Jonathan Van Tam it was the right thing to close and so we closed and and that was fine I think what frustrates me is relatively quickly, I don't know, three to six months or so in, it became very, very clear that outdoor activities were incredibly safe relative to all the other things we have to do. Mm. You know, people have to work in Amazon warehouses or in supermarkets and and, and people have to be at home with other people. And, and, you know, there are things you have to do, but it was really, really safe. And And I think, you know, not 
keeping things like you know we had this thing last summer in the uk called or summer before last called eat out to help out where they were trying to kind of and i totally understand it and, and i'm pretty pro opening in general with these things um like you could get half price food in food outlets to help the the hospitality industry get back mm. on its feet and i and i kind of I, I agree with that really in principle however we found ourselves in this weird situation where we weren't allowed to open part run but you could you know, so you couldn't queue for your barcode mm. with your barcode but you could queue in mcdonald's for half price half price yeah. junk food and and it, i just remember thinking this is the wrong way round we've we've not got our priorities right here and i think that that's been a, a frustration for me that you know like i said we'd spend years and years and years building this thing to be a social intervention primarily for people when they're in times of need and then right when people are at their biggest time of need we take it away uh, and, and once the evidence was clear i think in in, in my opinion that the outdoor events like part one are both important huge public health benefit and also very low risk then they they should be they should be open and so yeah that was frustrating but you know we're mostly back now and we're back in new zealand thankfully yes. um and uh most of australia and so on so yeah we're, we're getting back and, and hopefully we've learned a lot that we can and we've got a bit more of a voice now that we can lobby going forwards to to not be closed in similar situations yeah completely and you know what i love about park run tom is like i'm an avid i've been an avid runner for most of my life since i was a teenager right and but i've always really been quite um i've shied away from the, the shorter events because i just get scared to run fast and then i get scared to know how slow i am and what yeah. i love about park run <laughs> it's painful as well yeah. <laughs> is it completely took the pressure at the start line off away you know and and actually my fear of failure has prevented me from towing the start line in many events over the years but that's really changed over the mm. last three years mm. since I've become a regular and um, massive supporter of our you know of park run because I just now go along and I see it as it's a challenge against myself and my previous time or I already decide what kind of event I'm going to have today am I just going to pace it nice and even am I going to do negative splits am I going to try and beat Tom you know all of these um, different goals that I have in my head yeah, yeah. but I go along and I also know that I'm going to see like five or six people who I can chat to but then 100 other people I'm going to recognize because they're also there on a Saturday morning at eight o'clock and then it's done and dusted all by nine like and then you can get on with your weekday or sorry your weekend like yeah I think what you guys have created is just it's like it's amazing actually for for runners of all abilities yeah. and we look at and we, it, we saw an interesting change in the early days so in the very early days so, so initially part run was called a time trial so it was the bushy park time trial and then I, I, I got involved from event number four, which was at the, in Leeds in England, which, is, which was initially called the Hyde Park Time Trial. And, and then it was called Leeds Park Run. And then it was, now it's called Woodhouse Moor Park Run because really it, Woodhouse Moor is the right name for the park. Anyway, but in the, those early days, the very early days, it was, anybody was always welcome. There were never any cutoffs. You absolutely could come and walk it and that mm -hmm. would, you'd, be, you'd be heartily welcomed. From day one, you could have done that. It would have been fine. However, it was seen by a lot of people as a time trial and therefore, particularly within the running community, of which I was part of then, I was still am, but, you know, was fully part of then. And it was seen as kind of you against the clock. I mean, that was a kind of a term we had in the, in the early days. And the interesting thing I saw is that, that people would come regularly and, 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 you know, get to milestones and all those kind of things. But if they had a race 
on a Sunday or on a Saturday afternoon sometimes, they wouldn't come. Mm. So they wouldn't turn up. They'd go, no, no, I can't do a park run on Saturday because I've got a race on Sunday, a really important race. But then they'd really miss it. And then they'd have another race on a Sunday and they wouldn't come and they'd really miss mm-hmm. it. And, and we didn't have such a volunteering uh, ethos then. So they wouldn't necessarily think of volunteering. Maybe I don't know, but they wouldn't come. And they missed it. So over the, you could see it over the months and years, this kind of tension grew between I've got this thing I really, really like doing every single week. I can't, I've got also like racing really hard. I can't do both because I don't want to run flat out on a Saturday and flat out on a Sunday. Therefore, I can't do part run. And then people started thinking, mm-hmm. well, what if I just jog around part run easy? And it, that was like an anathema to some people in those early days. Like, what do you mean? You, if there's a clock, you can't go easy. You've got <laughs> yeah. to absolutely murder yourself. Otherwise, it's not worth <laughs> yeah. it. And then people started sort of, well, I do you know. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna whisper it. I'm just gonna jog around really easy. And and sometimes they wouldn't even take a time because they'd be so like embarrassed that they hadn't rinsed themselves. And so then they'd jog. You know, they might <laughs> normally run twenty minutes and they'd run thirty five minutes or something. And they'd go, actually, that was a load of. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed not yeah. going flat out. And and I had a great race on the Sunday still. And then over the years, it, it, it changed. And I think that really drove this. Actually sometimes start at the back and jog around and have a chat sometimes run with your kids sometimes run with your mate sometimes pace your mate sometimes go flat out so and and it evolved into what mm-hmm. i think most people tre- treat it as now which is whatever you want it to be on the day and yeah my son yesterday did his 50th junior part run yeah. and he's he's only seven and he's more often than not he'll bimble around chatting with his mates and he likes to kind of look after people so if there's a younger kid a five-year-old or something that that he knows he'll kind of put his arm around with them and go around with them and for some reason yesterday yesterday he decided i don't know why it was his 50th and he hadn't said he was going to do it but it's a two lapper r juniors with a little figure a little figure eight so you see them after kind of half a lap and then one lap and then one lap and two after half a lap he was so far ahead of anywhere he'd ever been before. I thought he's either cheated and cut a corner or he's gone off way too hard and he's going to detonate. And, and, he, and he ran flat out all the way around, left all his mates behind, oh, ran off into the distance, smashed himself, PB by 56 seconds um, and, and just loved it. And I thought, oh, my oh. word, you know, that, that's great. You know, you've obviously consciously thought, I'm going to smash it today. And he's really yeah. put some effort in. And yet and next week, he'll probably be five, literally five minutes slower and chat to his friends because that's what he wants yeah, to do. Yeah. And, and I think the more, I think even for elite, super elite athletes or athletes that are really serious about their training, you know, as I used to, I mean, I was never elite, but as I used to be serious when I was doing Ironman and marathons and so on, actually a little bit of that childlike mentality of, I'm going to smash it today. I'm just going to chat today. I'm not going to bother today. Yeah. And having that relaxation around it, I think, is um, is really helpful. And part run help, hopefully helps that because it's there every week. So, you you know, there's not that pressure of this is once a year. If I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. You know, yes. it's like, oh, I'm not up for it today. I'm just going to volunteer. Yeah. Or I'm going to chill out. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it's hopefully it's changed some some the culture a little bit. I feel like it really has, Tom. And, you know, I mentioned and in, in you backed up the idea of that social intervention for a lonely bloke. Can you describe mm. that? Like mm. sort of just how that happened for Paul, who was the, you know, founder of it. And because um, I think it's such a good story. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's also a good lesson in, in 
incredibly good things can can come out of low points and challenges and negative things so 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 paul sent in here who founder of part run he created it um back in 2004 he was a south african uh, well he still is south african but he, he is a south african um quite a serious runner marathon pb 236 i think about 15 20 years ago uh when we four part runs would be 20 years ago um quite a serious runner and um he was going through a difficult time in in his life and and you know he talks about this story a, a, a lot publicly so he was going through a difficult time in his life he was struggling with family life he was struggling with home life and work and and it just wasn't he wasn't in a good place at all mm. um and Paul's what is he 61 now so he'd have been very early 40s late 30s at the time um he was going through a really difficult time and for him running as much as he took running very very seriously and trained very very hard he um uh, running was his outlet for his challenges in life and his running friends were his friends and so mm. he was that he was running i think he was running in bushy park he was and he was out for a run with with his one of his dogs and he tripped over it and he got some kind of injury i've never even asked him what the injury was but anyway he got some kind of injury and the physio said um you know you're going to be out for a long time and i don't think he ran for a year or two it was quite a serious mm. thing whatever it was I, f- I feel like it was one of those sort of those little injuries that it's not like you know you snapped your leg into three pieces it's like one of those little things that never goes away you know anyway yeah yeah so he, so he was in this position where he had a was having a really difficult time in life and the thing that kept him going which was running seriously was taken away from him and was going mm. to be taken away from from a period of time and he really didn't know what to do and inspired by the south african um running clubs that he used to be a part of where they often have weekly time trials so clubs will say you know i think it might not be on a saturday i don't know but once a week they'll go to a certain place and they'll do a time trial over a non you know not a set distance necessarily um he decided to create something similar in uh, bushy park in in west london which was his local park where basically he would set out a 5k course uh, wasn't actually precisely 5k in those early days i think it was a, a little bit short i like winding the australians up because craig mottram had the original world record on bushy mm. bushy park run course um, a short course uh, and a slightly short course <laughs> and then the course was then oh it was measured i think by hugh jones who's a famous you know runner here and official course measure here made a little bit longer and then andy badley took the record off uh, craig mottram on a, a accurate course um so not only did we take the record off the australians but we also took it off them on a longer course which i like on a longer course um and and about has still got the record he set that in 2012 and so we're coming up to 10 year anniversary of that 1348 which is impressive on a saturday morning i think yes yeah um and so uh, mottram had run 14 flat i think 1400 um decided as a as a kind of partly as a coping mechanism for himself for his life to say to his friends i'll set up a 5k course at bushy park every saturday morning you lot come along and run it um i'll stand there with a stopwatch and time you and then we'll all go for coffee afterwards and it'll all be Mm -hmm. free and it'll be nice and social and we'll go for coffee and that first week 13 people turned up um Mm -hmm. and i think there were four volunteers plus paul um and the next week there was I think 11 and the next week there was 14 and it, it you know you said earlier Mickey about it growing gradually for two and a half years 
that was it. It was just the Bushy Park time trial mm-hmm. in West London with Paul and a handful of his friends. And they just went every single week, including Christmas Day, that which was a Saturday in 2004. And they just went every single week. And it was, um, you know, it, it was really was, became became a social intervention really quickly. And in fact, right from the start, you know, because Paul had this gap in his life. And mm. I think often when so many great things that, that, so many great inventions and so many great movements, they're started by somebody who identifies a problem in their own life, fixes that problem, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then that turns out loads of other people have the same problem, and then it become, you know, it, it grows around the world. And I, I yeah. think whether you were definitely struggling with life in some kind of way like Paul was, or whether you just weren't aware you needed a little bit more socialising in your life, like maybe m- myself was, uh, you know, I didn't think I had a gap in my life, and yet... You know, we, you know, I remember my wife saying to me, when we first got involved in 2007, my wife, Helen, saying to me, what, every week? We're going to have to be in the park every week. You know, yeah, for how long? Well, maybe forever. I don't, I don't know. It's just going to be every week. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And she's just done her, has she just done it or did she miss it because she had laryngitis? She's not quite done it. She's stuck on 299 runs. So she's, oh she's done... 270 odd i think volunteering instances she's done 299 park runs i think she just got laryngitis off the back of covid so she's missed a couple so i don't think she's done a 300 i think her next park run will be her 300th amazing um and you just can't believe it you know here we are here we are 14 years later and it's definitely a social intervention for us i mean definitely you know i was a sub 10 hour ironman triathlete sub three hour marathoner i'd started a running club you know, it's all back in 2007 when we got involved. I had, you know, Helen mm. and I were together. We had a great life. I didn't think anything was missing from yeah. my life, really. But when you took it away, when it got taken away in March 2020, oh, you realised I just don't have this outlet anymore. I don't see my friends. I don't, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we realised, you know, I think for all of us, it's a social thing. Well, it's interesting, particularly with running and maybe, and I don't know other sports intimately the way I do running, but all Mm. of my best girlfriends and best relationships have come from running and Mm. even, and so these are like my, you know, university school friends or even a woman that I've met as an, you know, an older runner, older, I mean, I've just aged myself up probably quite a bit, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) middle-aged, whatnot. Um, And even like people I meet now that I I'm like, oh, you're a runner. And then suddenly there's just this instant yeah. connection and you can go on a run yeah. with someone and suddenly you're sharing your most kind of like innermost thoughts and experiences yeah. and, and feelings with a stranger that isn't because you feel like you already know them because you've got running. Yeah. And I don't know if it is like that with other sports. I mean, you're a triathlete, maybe it's the same with triathlon, mm. but there's just something about particularly being outdoors sharing a similar experience that really sort of mm. uh, connects you with people and that's that whole connection thing running is amazing and park run yeah. just brings that look I, th- I think that's right and I, I don't know the New Zealand running scene at all but speaking mm. for the UK sort of running scene I think and I don't think it's just park run that's done this but I think pre-park run which is pre-2004 there was I don't. I think the the two the sort of various parts of the sport of running were disconnected. So you were kind of either an elite, super serious runner in in very short shorts, absolutely smashing yourself and and you know dribbling all over the place, or you were a charity runner just dressed as a chicken, and there was kind of <laughs> nothing in between, and the two never met. 
and and if you were a volunteer you were about 200 years old (laughs) and that and (laughs) that was it right you had these kind of three sort of cohorts that never really existed in a way and obviously i'm i'm paraphrasing that but i think one of the things we've really tried to push and 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 i think we've played a part in here is that is the kind of the the equality of it all so genuinely you know andy badley said to me that that when he ran the world record in so he'd he'd gone out of the olympic semi-final in 2012 of i think it would have been the 1500 meters mm-hmm. was in but was annoyed with himself for, for for losing for not losing but for for not progressing from the semi-final to the final of the olympic 1500 um he then turned up on the Saturday morning with some frustration to take out with his coach on a bike and said, right, I'm going to smash this. I'm going to go for the world part run world record here. And he, you know, and he, and he did that and he ran 1348 and he got a massive round of applause on the start line. Then everybody's chatting to him at, at the end. And, you know, he said to me, that was one of the most moving moments for him mm. in his entire athletic career, because he really felt part of a community, um, which he wouldn't normally um, and this is somebody in world-class Olympic level fitness, uh, you know, being applauded by people who are going to do 5k in 45 or 50 minutes, some of them walk it in over an hour and yeah. felt a real connection to them. And I think they felt a real connection to him. And I, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people who will say, oh yeah, I, I, I take 40 minutes for a part run. I look at my watch at 1348 and think Andy Badley would have finished now. And I can't believe where I am. And, and that's a really positive <laughs> thing. And they share in that experience because we all know what it's like to run what it's like to run 5k and and people like Andy Badley will say you know they'll speak to somebody who's done who's in the 250 club or something so they've done 250 part runs mm. and he'll think that's an amazing achievement and he'll say oh, what an amazing achievement that's really wonderful he doesn't he doesn't go yeah but you've never broken 14 minutes he, he genuinely says that's a wonderful achievement I'm really impressed I don't know if I could do that yeah. and they're saying what you've done is a wonderful achievement I don't know if I could do that and I think bringing that all together, you know, is, is, you know, we've got people that have volunteered 500 times. You know, one of our staff members, uh, Helen Hood, has volunteered for over 500 times. So she's in a 500, like different, not roles, like different days. That's 10 yeah. years of commitment, even if you never miss one. And another man, one member of, our, member of our staff, Jazz Banger, she's done, I mean, I think we've probably got a few people in the 500 club running, but she's, she's walked or run. 500 part runs and that's 10 years of commitment you can't fast track that it doesn't matter how rich you are it doesn't matter how fit you are it doesn't matter what training you do you can't fast track it it's 10 years minimum of consistent effort and whether you whether you average an hour for your 500 part runs or 15 minutes for your 500 part runs is partly neither here nor there but we do celebrate yeah. performance too and that's really important you know i think it's you mustn't i don't think um sacrifice performance and self-improvement in the name of participation both are valid you can do both or you can do either and they're totally fine but you know most part run courses most part run events will know their course record holders male and female and will celebrate them and when they turn up they'll love it and they'll go oh such and such is here you know woodhouse more my part run i think dan garbutt's probably still got the record i mean we're going back more than 10 years here I think yeah. he's the only one to break 15 minutes. He did 14.59, I think. Oh, and, and it's it's not the fastest course in the world. <laughs> yeah, and people sure. look at it and go, wow, that's amazing. And, you know, if yeah. he turns up again, they're like, oh, Dan's here, great. Are you going to go for the record? And yeah, so yeah. I, I think it it brings all of that together and validates all of it. So, you 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 know, whether you 
you, like you've got tiny little shorts on and Nike Alpha flies and you want to smash yourself. You know, Alex Yee, who's, who's, who's become a very well-known triathlete over the last few years, um, he got two medals at the Olympics, didn't he? Um, you know, he's, I think he might be the second fastest. Um, I think he's broken 14 minutes at a park run, but not quite got the world record. You know, and every now and again, he'll turn up at a part run. I think Dulwich is his most common part run. He's had, the world, he's had the record there a few times. In fact, I think he swapped with Paul Martelletti, who's a mm. fellow Kiwi. And I think him and Marders have gone backwards and forwards with the course record at Dulwich a few times. Yeah. Um, but, but people really love that. They really, they yeah. really enjoy that. And, and you know, it, it's, uh, so I think that's a, a really, really important thing. You know, again, you know, we were talking earlier about, I think, wherever you are in, in sport, whether you want to purely just participate and turn up or whether you want to really be the best you can possibly be, having the, the, the mindset of, of I'm going to do what I want to do today. So I'm, whether yeah. it's easy or hard or fun or not or whatever. I think the same thing, you know, uh, in terms of it, whether you whether you're going flat out to break a course record or whether you're walking around as tail walker or you know, it's all totally valid and 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 they don't have to be exclusive to each other, you know. Yeah, completely. And parkrun is a vehicle for almost every experience mm. that you've just described, mm. Tom. Mm. So obviously you you know you weren't there right at the beginning but you weren't mm. far off. Mm. How on earth did one or two sort of small like little community <laughs> events turn into this massive global sort of not-for-profit organization, charity organization? Mm. Like mm. how does that happen? It was really interesting. So Paul so Paul started part run in 2004 as I said and at the time for him at that time, my, this is my understanding, having, having talked to him about it possibly more than anybody else ever has. I've, you know, I've spent 15 years now chatting to him about it. Yeah. Um, that it, Very initially, that was it. So he wanted this, what was called a time trial then, in his local park, and, and that was it. And then um, the second one, and I always get these two the wrong way around. So it was either, oh, I'm going to get really confused now, Wimbledon Common or Banstead Woods. And I can, I, for some reason, I have a mental block of which was two and which was three. Mm-hmm. I think it Wimbledon was two, but I could be wrong. Um, they, Bushy started to get quite busy. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, we laugh at it now because it, it was like quite busy being two or 300 people, I think. And now they get, you know, 1,500 or 2,000. I think they went two and a half thousand on Christmas Day a couple of years ago. Um, but we th- they thought it was busy. Um, and so they started a second one. Uh, in my understanding, they said this would be 2000 and very beginning of 2007. They started the second one to try and take a bit of pressure off the first one. Mm-hmm. And that just got, and it didn't take any pressure off at all. It just got people ran there as well. And then they started the third one um, in a similar vein. And that also didn't make any difference. It just people around there as well and they had three events rather than one but it didn't make bushy any quieter and throughout as part of that process paul again i'm speaking for him but paul thought this would be a really good thing actually to be everywhere wouldn't it be great if there was one everywhere and and i sat down with him in the summer of 2007 we'd seen it I'd, i'd seen it advertised in runners world here and thought i'd like to bring it to leeds what a really good thing uh, let me speak to Paul. I didn't know him. I'll, I'll, I'll have a chat to him and see what, whether we can copy it. I and mean, there was no public thing about it expanding. And I spoke to him in the summer of 2007, went down there in the August. I was the 6,013th park runner to register. So my number is 6013. Yeah. Um, and Paul said to me then, um, 
that wouldn't it be great if there was one in every town in the world? And mm. he definitely had, and there was only three in West London at that point, but he had that vision, crazy vision, wonderful vision, that early on that there'd be one, there could be one everywhere. I guess like a sort of Hash House Harriers type thing, although I've never been involved in Hash House Harriers, but I guess that kind of thing. Mm. Also during that time period, before I got involved, it, it also made the decision largely had not really gone fully uh into it but that in order to expand it would need to be a largely centralized model mm-hmm. so if you if you if you could just say yeah this is what we do go for it yep some would work and some wouldn't and you wouldn't learn from the ex- experiences you wouldn't develop best practice and you'd have some places where it's really good and some places where it wasn't but it might be a wednesday or monthly or 10k or 6k or paid or men only or women only or whatever it, it it would become it would sort of dilute the purity of it and i think quite early on before i was involved paul understood that one it's a really good thing wouldn't it be good if there was one everywhere two in order for there to be one everywhere they need to be the same in almost mm-hmm. like a mcdonald's starbucks type yeah. way um, I'm sure if McDonald's franchises let, allowed you to have green arches rather than golden arches or whatever it was, it, would, it, would, it wouldn't have been as successful. And so uh, we started event number four. So Helen, my wife and I and some other friends of ours started event number four, which was the first one, sort of the first one outside London. There was one in Zimbabwe temp- briefly, which I think might be even been a Wednesday night, mm. um, which, didn't, which doesn't exist anymore. But we really started, I guess, the first one outside of London. And by that point, Paul was saying, you can become the fourth event, but you will give you website space. So you, you as part of what's called UKTT then, you mm-hmm. become part of this. You have to do it this way. It has to be every week. You have to go to a coffee shop afterwards. It mm-hmm. has to be free. It has to be this distance. Um, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And so as early as that, Paul had realized um, I think that in all, that the value of growing, but also the some of the, the the way you need to grow. What I've tried to do is kind of take that on, carry that baton on, mm. and simplify as much as possible and centralise as much as possible. So when we start in a new country, I mean New Zealand, part one, New Zealand's been around forever, but you know we started more recently. We've started in Germany, we've started in Japan, and we've started in Austria, and we started in the Netherlands. Mm. Um, is is this is exactly how you do it. You have to do it like this and it'd be really, really simple. Yeah. Um, and the simpler you can make it, the easier is it, it is to grow and it, the easier is it, it is to scale. So we're about 2,100 or 2,200 events right now. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be at 10,000 events within 10 years or something. Um, yeah. And you know, we have plans to move to lots of other countries. So we'll probably be at 100 countries within 10 years or something like that if everything goes mm. to plan. And I think what you know why is part run successful and it comes back to something i said earlier so why is there the demand what you know what because it's all very well having a simple model that works really well that scales around the world but why is there a demand for that model i really do think human beings have a built-in need to be outdoors and social and active Mm -hmm. Uh, and there are very few opportunities in the world to do that very very few particularly when you bring cost into it yeah um you know, I've got two young kids. Uh, on Saturday, on Sunday at Juniors, m- my daughter volunteered. I volunteered. In fact, my wife volunteered as well, actually. All three of us volunteered, and Aston ran. But 
every any given week, the four of us will do a combination of spectating, volunteering, walking and running. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of opt in and out. And we all opt in and out of all of those things all the time. There's very, very few opportunities to do that. In fact, I can't think of other opportunities. You know, we can take the, our kids swimming and watch them. I know we can go swimming with them, but, but you know, there are, there are very few opportunities to, to do that. And I think, I think that really cuts to the heart of what being a human being is. And mm. some of us are really ex- extrovert and some of us are introvert. I'm quite an introvert. You know, I, I like mm. to, to just be part of it and be around people, but not be, if I can help it, I can't avoid it sometimes, but being not being front and centre. I like to just kind of mill around and be there. And I don't even, mm. sometimes I'll just sit in the cafe at juniors, I'll sit in the cafe and have a coffee and just watch through the glass. Yeah. And, and Helen, who, my wife, is much more outgoing. Aren't you going to come out and speak to people? And I'm like, oh, I'm quite happy just sitting here and watching the world go by. And, yeah. you know, and, and that's fine. And so I think that that drives the demand, I think, that people really, whether they, whether it's conscious or not, whether sometimes whether they agree or not i think everybody has that need in them somewhere and then when they see this opportunity that is part run to fulfill that need and then we provide a really 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 simple easy straightforward model that says if you do it like this it'll work and we know it'll work a bit like mcdonald's will say if you want to sell burgers do it like this (laughs) and it'll work um hopefully we're doing a little bit more social good (laughs) (laughs) but but, but there you go same thing (laughs) and i reckon i think that the cost thing is an important one tom Mm -hmm. because everyone you used to always say oh but running so cheap it's the cheapest sport running in of itself if you didn't have to worry about shoes or anything Mm -hmm. yeah of course it's cheap it's free it's just your body but nothing is free and particularly all sports these days cost money running is certainly um you know i've spent many 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 thousands of dollars on running and Mm. have loved doing it but this you know it's free to go along it's so accessible for people i think that's such an important thing because so few events these days are yes i think there's also it changes the culture so i think one you're absolutely right you know running events are really expensive often not always some club events are fantastic value Mm. and 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 right, we're not anti things being charged for at all. I think there's a place for really expensive big city marathons, and there's a place for, you know, relatively expensive local races, and there's a place for relatively cheap club events, and so on. There's a, there's a place for everybody, but I think running had bec- and was becoming more and more expensive. So I think just simply making things cheaper and more accessible is a really important thing. At the same time, I think being free changes the the culture of the of the event and so Mm. you know let's say it was a pound a week or 50 pence a week or whatever it it would affect you know for a lot of people effectively that would be free you know if you were saying to me it's 50p a week it's 25 pounds a year 26 pounds a year whatever it is um that would effectively be free for me so 25 pounds a year is is it is it for for a lot of people is is a low enough level of money it's not really materially any difference from being nothing yeah. But it would change it completely. If I had to take 50 pence each time, if I had to pay 50p, if I had to sign up for a direct debit mm. or something, uh, and then I'd feel like I was paying for some things maybe so I deserved something back in return. And I yeah. think the fact that it's free, like I say, changes the ethos around it profoundly in, in, and even against a nominal fee. It mm. changes it completely. I would go far less often, I think. We would go far less often 
if it was 50 pence per person per week or a pound per person per week than if it was free. And actually the two, I know for a lot of people that makes a huge difference. I know for a lot of people, 25 pounds a year is a, is a lot of money. If people are really on the breadline, that's, that's a challenge. But for a lot of people, it isn't. Yeah. And I think it still changes it for them. So it's not purely the actual cost. Yeah, it's, the, yeah. it's the culture of we're all in this together. Yeah. It's going to be completely free forever. We'll never charge you a penny. You don't have to sign up for anything. You, know, you can opt out of our emails. In fact, you know, if you really want to opt out of things, you don't even have to register. You can just yeah. come along and, and, run. and run around and not take a time or not register, whatever. That's fine too. And I, and I think that really does change what Park Run is in a really powerful way and, and should be protected. And that takes us back to the, you know, the bringing Park Run back um, post-pandemic, as yeah. it were we worked incredibly hard not to bring it back in a way that broke those things. So, you know, yeah. saying, I don't know, you have to pre-register for the event and you have to turn up with a barcode, let's say, that is specific to that day. So rather than at the minute, you're, you know, I'm 6013, I can turn up anywhere. I could go to Moscow or Soweto or San Francisco tomorrow and part run. Well, not tomorrow because it's it's a Tuesday, but I can go tomorrow and part run. Um, if, we, if we said actually... It's still free, but all you've got to do is in in the week up to the Saturday, you have to register for the event you're going to, and there's a limited number of registrations, 50 or 100 or something, and you print out the barcode that's specific to that day, and you turn up and you could... That would oh. break it. Oh, it would just, just break a whole lot of awkward. It. Yeah, exactly right. And actually, the, the organised, um, dead-keen triathletes would all manage to do it. Yeah. Great brilliant you'd have loads of triathletes running around the you know the 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 single parent families with three kids in disadvantaged communities that don't have a printer and have really sketchy internet etc etc they'd never do it yeah and they'd be excluded you know you'd be creating a structure you know we hear, we've heard a lot in the last few years we've heard a lot about structural discrimination the yeah. way a society can be structured that discriminates against a, a specific group of people um be it directly or indirectly, things like that. Okay, we're going to limit to 50 people a week or 100 people a week. And you've got to do, you've got to, each week, you've got to overcome these little barriers in order to be one of those selected 50 or 100 people. Yeah. That would structurally discriminate against the people we are most keen to engage. And getting involved. Yeah. Yeah. Because like Park Run, it doesn't just happen in parks around communities does it like park run takes places it takes place in, in places like prisons and and things like that doesn't it yeah you know we've we've always felt park run should be for everyone and it's yeah. really at the heart of of what we do and um now there are you know i think almost anybody can do it there are some you know people will write to us and say well i work every saturday so i can't do it yeah. you know that, which i understand that and that that is a, sh a shame but you you have to balance what it what is it so people understand what it is i think if you dilute it too much you know few organizations around the world often with deeper pockets than us and more running experience than us have tried to replicate part run and they they've none of them have ever succeeded mm -hmm. and one of the big things i think they get wrong is they'll do a Wednesday night and a 1K and a 5K and a monthly and a 9am or an 11 and, and you don't know what it is. And I think it, people need to know what they're signing up for and what they're doing, particularly if they're moving around a little bit with it. Um, 
insert oh, I've lost my train of thought now what was I saying what, what, what um into pack runs for everyone oh yeah that's right in prisons that's right so so um we try and balance that it's for everybody it's a health and well-being initiative yeah um but we have to be quite tight about what it is so we don't dilute it so it becomes nothing for anybody really and ab- about probably four years ago ish um We'd, we had an approach from a prison in the UK called, called um, HMP Haverig. And we had had pr- approaches from prisons before, but prisons before always wanted to change what we do. So can we do it monthly? Can we do it on a Sunday? Can we make it a mile? And we just said, no, no, no. It's got to be free weekly time, 5K for, any, for everybody. Otherwise, not at all. Otherwise, you can't do it. And Haverig said that well, they could accommodate that. So we, so we started a, this this part run event in it's called black Moon part run in hmp Haverick, and it, i think we all thought it would be a good thing you know so so you know people who are in prison by definition have made some bad choices in in life um and you know some crimes are worse than others of course um but they've made some bad choices in in life and we be- we believe as an organization we believe in rehabilitation and we believe in in bringing bringing people back into community ideally in a way that minimizes their chance of reoffending and making the bad choices again. I mean, you know, you can kind of ostracize people and give them bread and water and not give them anything, not educate them at all and not give them anything positive, but actually they're more likely to come out and reoffend. So are you more mm. interested in punishing them or are you more interested in, in trying to make the world a better place? And, and we felt part run could offer a good, a good solution or particularly around rehabilitation. One, it would give people prisoners, something positive to focus on whilst they were inside and two because we insisted it had to be 5k and it had to be every week it and it had to be a saturday morning it would create this habit this positive habit that they could continue once they came out so once they're released and they go back to their community they can step straight into a power run community knowing what happens you know they're not you know because a lot of people who are who are incarcerated are, are anxious and nervous and and uh, you know have insecurities and have low self-esteem, and actually they can go along and they can. I know what happens here. It's the same as in mm. the prison. I do it every week. I print out my barcode. I bring it. I can walk it. I can run it. I can volunteer. I can spectate, and so they have this positive transition back into society. And so that was kind of the theory. And actually, it was more powerful than we ever imagined. You know, within. Mm. Within weeks, we were seeing the most powerful story. Um, you know, I went. We've got a part run in a in a young offenders institute here, Weatherby Young Offenders Institute near near my place. And I went there. I helped them set it up a little bit. I went there for their first birthday, I think it was. And I remember chatting to some of the kids there, and they're fifteen to seventeen. Some of them are doing life sentences. They're really. You know they've made some really bad decisions in their in their lives, um, and have and, and they're teenagers and they've got themselves in a terrible terrible space. And you you go in there and you, you and you participate with them and you talk to them and you realise you know these are 15, 16, 17 year old where when somebody said well done mm. at part run that's the first time they've ever heard that those words in their entire life. Nobody's yeah. ever said ever well done, and I think. You start to become, I think, most people would start to become more empathetic around the bad choices they've made when you understand the background to what they do. And then they'd say, to their lives. And then they'd say things to me like, you know, one of them said, um, and this is why we have our results are public. So they're anonymous. So the names are all anonymized for safety reasons, but they're public. 
so that their friends and family on the outside can see what they're doing. And one of them said to me that, that his mum had started part running in wherever she lived, down south somewhere, where, uh, had started part running where she lived. Now, every Saturday, she did her local part run, and he did his local, his local part run, his part run in his, in his prison. Yeah. And they had this thing that they were doing together, and he had inspired her to be active, and she had made positive lifestyle choices. Now, you know, when on earth has, you know, have teenagers in possibly doing life sentences um, it's you know imprisoned in you, you, uh, young offenders institutes. When have they ever inspired their parents to make positive lifestyle changes through their own actions? I mean, yeah. never. I'm I'm sure there'd been other interventions. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, we're not the be all yeah. and end all, but we we couldn't believe the the power of that. How and how quickly that happened. You know, one of them, one of the lads said to me, "This kid kept with fourteen lapper, the one in the one in Weatherby." And one of the lads, because they often got quite small yards or gardens or areas, we, and we insist it's 5K, so sometimes it's 14, 15, 16, 17 laps. And one of them, one of the, I was walking around with this lad, and this other one was lapping us quite often. And they were saying, well done to each other. Well done, such and such. Well done, such and such. And it was really positive. And he said to me, he said, before part run, me and him used to hate each other. And we used yeah. to get into fights. And I used to really want to hurt him. And, you know, and he said, since we're doing this together, we're, we've got this really positive relationship. And you're thinking, God, that's really simple, isn't it? Like, it's a really yeah. simple intervention. You're yeah. two kind of arch enemies who hate each other. Oh, well, let's bring part run in. One does it in about 25 minutes. One does it in about 55 minutes. The 25-minute yeah. elapsed, the 55-minute constantly. <laughs> and they're best mates because of it. And they're having a coffee afterwards. And you, and you, yeah. you, you, you realise... Uh, the power of a really simple intervention to 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 change really quite serious serious circumstances that people find themselves in amazing yeah it is amazing it's like that shared experience it's that mm. improvement in self-esteem and it's it yeah yeah tom you're also with regards to park run you're in a you're it's like green prescription as well, isn't it? Like GPs are now yes. using it as a bit of a, a um, okay, you know, as part of your lifestyle intervention, we want you to go do park run. Yep. Like how's that sort of side of it going? And, and are there actually any, like you've got like obviously thousands and thousands of anecdote sort of reports. Mm. Is there like research, uh, uh, universities really interested in, in how this is sort of uh, hit the ground running? Yeah, definitely. So, um, how do I, what best way to address that really is I think we, when we started, we felt we put a part around there who comes, comes, who doesn't, doesn't. That's fine. Yeah. We, it was very hands off about who took part. We just felt you put the intervention there, you put the part run event there, and people take part. And that's mm. it, it stops there. And then Over the years, we realised it wasn't just a time trial. It was a really powerful health intervention that totally transformed people's lives. You know, I have lost count of the number of people that have personally said to me that part run is the difference between them being alive and dead. And and Mm -hmm. as as brutal as that, like just so powerful, this really changes lives. And so you know, okay, right, uh, we have a responsibility therefore to to try and engage people who are most in need, most excluded from society, most marginalised, least active, 
um, et cetera, et cetera. We have a we have a opportunity here to really change people's lives. Let's try and reach out directly to to individuals. And and Chrissy leads up a lot of that work for us. She's our global lead of health of health and well being. And what you're talking about there is the Part One Practices Initiative, which I'll get to in a second. Which you know, which Chrissy was kind of um, front and centre of of strategically and operationally of, of rolling out with the Royal College of GPs here. What we found prior to that was where we tried to roll out interventions to engage with those most in need, the thing that worked so well for Part Run, which is word of mouth, stops right where you need it. So so the point, almost by definition, the point where word of mouth stops is the is the boundary beyond mm. which most of the benefit is. And so, you know, the people most in need of Part Run, they're they're not reading they're not on our instagram page they're not reading yeah. our newsletters they're not walking in the park on a saturday morning anyway and see us happening you know i, I spoke to a, a a guy years ago who'd lost his sight in his 40s was already kind of inactive and sedentary lost his sight completely out of the blue in his 40s oh. and spent six months sat on his sofa and literally six months sat on his sofa you know down in the morning down to the sofa watch telly all day in the evening back to bed in the morning down to a sofa all day in the evening back to bed you know as his sight deteriorated you know, yeah. and um and in and spiraled into, into this depression and his gp who i think it was a friend of mine called well my friend simon tobin is a gp and i think it was simon that prescribed it said to him why don't you go to part run and get out of your house get to part run on a saturday morning you can volunteer you can participate even if you've got visual impairment we'll find you a guide and so on and it totally transformed this guy's life in a really fundamental way but it was only because this this GP, this doctor, his doctor had gone beyond our word of mouth and had effectively prescribed Parkrun to one of his patients. And then it mm. completely transformed his patient's life. And so around around all of that, um we and and okay, Chrissy, Chrissy led the work on it, so I'm not fully across it, but but we realise that actually we're not the right people necessarily to reach out to certain groups of people because we don't know them. We've got a small staff team. Um, we don't really know how to do it. It's not our expertise. Our expertise is delivering really accessible 5K running event, walking and running of volunteering events. It's not engaging with people who've got long-term conditions or disabilities or, or health issues or whatever it might be or are socially excluded. But GPs are really good at that. So we went, went into this partnership with the Royal College of General Practitioners here in the UK and where effectively we formalised, and if people Google RCGP Parkrun or something, they'll find it mm. on the Royal College of General Practitioners website. Effectively, we formalised the process where a general a, a doctor's practice can uh, formally become a Parkrun practice, which means certain things, like they put Parkrun posters up, they'll go to Parkrun, they, they will advise in the right situation they'll advise the right the, some of the patients to go to part run and so we now have i think this is eight thousand gp practices i think in the uk and close to two thousand i think somewhere between 1500 and 2000 of them are now formally registered as park run practices so a quarter of our general practitioners here Amazing. are promoting part run to their patients and, yeah. and prescribe you know some of them will literally write kind of prescriptions out you know they'll write a piece of paper yeah. and say you must go to part run once a month for the next year and you must volunteer three times or something yeah. um and it, and it and you know i think one of the things again we've learned over the years is we're not the experts in these some of these areas so we need to engage with people who are so we all we have another really great initiative that we work with called 5k your way which was set up by another great triathlete actually lucy gossage 
Oh, yeah. Um, and Lucy is an oncologist, so she's won goodness knows how many Ironman triathlons. Um, lots. Um, she might have won more. I mean, Chrissy obviously is four-time Ironman world champion and, yes. and won every race she entered, and, and was it 13, I think, in total. I think Lucy's wasn't at that level. I'm sure Lucy wouldn't, wouldn't mind me saying, but Lucy's won something like 25 Ironman races, whatever goodness. it is. Anyway, Lucy's also an oncologist. Um, and she set up with her friend Gemma Hilia Moses, who was a who was a professional athlete who got diagnosed with cancer very very young. They mm. set up a, a charity called Move Charity, and within that, they set up a thing called Five K Your Way, which is I think on the last I think it's the last Saturday of every month. They have these Five K Your Way groups, mm. which are groups for people who've been impacted by cancer in some ways. So it could be people with cancer. It could be people who've recovered. It could be doctors who are, it could be family members or carers. It could be anybody impacted with cancer. I mean, it could be anybody. That, in fact, I've got my five, this is my 5K Your Way hoodie, yeah. 5K Your Way, see on my hoodie, Move Against Cancer. They, um, they have about 65 or 70 groups, I think, now around the UK that on the last Saturday of the month, they all put their blue hoodies on and they all go to part run. And so yeah. we've created the ecosystem yes. in which these oncologists and cancer specialists and cancer support specialists, this charity, can then operate within that yeah. and encourage the people in their community to come to part run and get all the socializing and the coffee and all that kind of stuff. The same as the Royal College of G- GPs can they can get their members, their doctors to prescribe part run. And so what we like I said, what we try and do is provide this build this ecosystem yeah. within which other people can also do great things. And you know, if people go onto Google Scholar and just Google Parkrun, you'll see that the the body of research is growing rapidly. So we have an incredible amount of of research into into um, health and well-being and part runs impacts and and partly part run itself's impacts. So does part run make people healthier and happier? Mm-hmm. We we've done our own we did our own um, health and well-being survey uh, a couple of years ago where we I think we had about sixty five thousand respondents completed about eleven million questions. Um, mm-hmm. We did that with the Chef Chef University and they've loads of researchers coming out of that. Yeah. But also not just part run, but but wider health things so so we have a independent research board again people can google part run research board they'll find it run managed by by uh the advanced well-being research center which which is out of sheffield Hallam university and that came about it was about probably 10 years ago now um a friend of mine andy shannon who's a he's in the 250 club at bushy park run um he's also a professor of obstetrics and gynecology in in king's college hospital is it london guys and st thomas's he's a world leader in his field he um wrote to me and said um that he was interested in whether or not it was uh safe to run during pregnancy and he said at the time there wasn't much evidence Mm. as to whether or not it was so the, the advice was typically take up don't take up exercise if you've not done it before necessarily maybe that was the advice at the time but if you're already running for example it's okay to keep running but there wasn't really any evidence and as yeah. this kind of world leader in in pregnancy he was a, and a runner and a keen runner he was aware there wasn't much evidence so he wrote to us and said can i um can i send a a survey to your female participants and ask them some questions about running during pregnancy um because i'd like to i'd like to develop the evidence as to whether it's safe or not and we said of course in fact i said we will do it but i want you to help me set up the research board which is a group of independent academics who review this kind of research um and we helped him 
we had about a, uh, we had about a million registrants at the time. I think probably we had about half a million women. That meant so he could write to half a million women and say, essentially, it was quite simple. You know, have you ever been pregnant? Did you run throughout pregnancy? What was the out? What was the outcome of your pregnancy? I, I, roughly, I think. Um, and within I think forty eight hours, we'd created the biggest study in history into running during pregnancy, Amazing. and as a result of that. Andy Shannon was able to publish research that showed it was safe to run during pregnancy. Um, and so and that nothing to do with part, you know, it wasn't a part run thing. It was a running yeah, thing. Yeah. But actually, you know, if you, if you're a, a, a pregnant mum, should you run or not? And up to that point, it had been, well, we think it's fine, but there's not really evidence to, yeah. and we moved the needle to actually it is fine. The evidence is pretty clear. Yeah. And he was specifically looking at, do people go full term or not? I think, um, and there were a couple of theories as to why running might not make you go full term. I mean, I'm so far out of my wheelhouse now, it's not true. But it was around, <laughs> I think, blood supply to the placenta and it was around the impact of running. So could those two things, independently or together, um, uh, increase the chance of somebody going into labour early? And then, yeah. and then not going full term was then, is then associated with worse outcomes in later life. And 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 um, if people Google Andy Shannon Park Run pregnancy, they'll find that research as well. Oh yeah, we can put um, it in the show notes. It's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, he's a he's a great character actually, Andy Shannon. Yeah. He'd be a good interview. But but so there's all kinds of things. You know, it's it's kind of become this big thing. And a lot of you know, yeah. you said right at the beginning, Mickey, you said about service, and I think a lot of what we do is about uh, our ability to serve our communities. Yeah. And do and you know locally and globally, and provide these these ecosystems, frameworks, infrastructures, these interventions that can really, really improve the health and well-being of a of a community. Um, and I think that sits at the heart of everything we do, probably. I totally agree, Tom. And I think it's amazing that you know I can't imagine what it would be like to be in your position and the people who work within sort of <laughs> you know park run sort of global head uh, headquarters, if you like, and just the impact that you you know that you have on hundreds of thousands of people's lives across the globe. But not only are you of service, but you provide an opportunity for us to be of service as well. Mm-hmm. You know, people who have a need and outlet to want to be part of a community and be needed and Parkrun also provides that and it's interesting so you've got you and this is my final question because you've got a day to start and a Monday (laughs) as well um you've got you talked about Chrissy Wellington you talked about Lucy Gossinger I think Gossage thank you um you know, you guys are elite athletes, and I know you didn't say you were an elite, Tom, and and you were you yeah. were a definite <laughs> high age grouper, high age grouper. So yeah, nine, you know, nine twenty four Ironman. So all right, yeah, yeah nine twenty four yeah. exactly, and <laughs> a very recent three twelve at Yorkshire Marathon, yep. as I understand it as well. Um, yeah, for my old age. Yeah, talk yes. about older athletes as you did earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, has has this you is have these experience has it changed what running means to you at all? You know, like coming from your very competent background has this just changed it at all oh totally yeah totally changed it i think it'd be interesting to ask people like chrissy and lucy because they were are very different to me in that sense you know Mm. they're they're professional elite athletes at the pinnacle looking to win world championship type stuff you know where i was i was a half decent you know club athlete but you know I, i i came to it quite late 
and uh, I don't think I could have been elite and a true elite athlete anyway. But but you know, I think for me, I never really considered myself a runner or a triathlete. You know, I mean, I would set up a running club, and I, my marathon PB was it was two forty nine. I did three twelve recently, which I was really pleased with. You know, fifteen years after doing my P, my, my PB, mm-hmm. um, and my but. I, it was never really my identity. So running was never really my identity. I kind of dipped in and out of loads of things across my life. And so for me, I think the community thing, it it was always a community thing for me, probably. So pre-park run, I, I worked in a gym in 2007, uh, 2000, sorry, I worked in a gym called Virgin Active. And I set up a little running group in that gym and we turned it into a running club and we um and now it's one of the biggest running clubs in leeds actually kind of 20 years later Mm. um but at the time i used to i was i was half serious marathon runner and then a half serious triathlete and i took the beginner group out every so we'd have you know five six seven groups based on ability seven being the fastest you know one being the the the, the newest to to running an activity and i took the, the the group group one out probably every tuesday for close on 10 years i don't know for a long time from kind of 2001 to 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 kind of 2010 12 or something like that and you know i'd go out at the time i could run a i don't know 17 minute 5k and a and a sub 3 marathon and a decent triathlon and i'd go out every tuesday night with the beginners and 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 we'd do i don't know 4 miles in an hour let's mm. say and they'd be walking and 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 talking and and they used to apologise to me because they'd know I was relatively quite fit and I'd started this running club and people would apologise, I'm really sorry for ruining your run. I'm like, you're not ruining my run at all, I'm loving it. Now, partly it's possibly I've, I am quite lazy internally, <laughs> so I quite like the opportunity to just walk and bimble, bimble along. Yeah. But I think for me, community and, and socialising was always, the for me, the most important part of my athletics, much more so than the performance side of it. You know, when I was at university, I played football. I was in the fourth team, and you know, we were kind of a drinking club with a football habit. If that's the right way around, like yeah. I've, I've never been that. I've always had that in me. I think it would be interesting. You know, some of the you know the Andy Badleys of the world, where you speak yeah. to you know Olympian, world class athlete, who says actually, Bushy Park Run, that day in 2012 when he set the world record, and it was still about performance because he set the world record. Yeah. He ran 13:48. He truly went for it with his coach on a bike shouting at him. Um, you know, he would say, and he said it to me, you know, that was one of the most moving experiences he'd had in athletics, the bringing together of the communities. So, so I think, you know, it's definitely changed what I think to an extent, but I've always been more about lazing around and being social than I have about being super athletic, where, you know, some of the kind of the super athletes who've got, you know, the Alex Yees of the world, the Chrissy Wellingtons of the world, the Andy Badleys of the world, you know, people like Sonia O'Sullivan, Joe Pavey, they, you know, park run regularly. You know, Joe park runs regularly. Yeah. She takes her kids to park run. Um, it would be really interesting to ask that question, I think, to some people who've had a really, you know, Martin, you know, Martin and Liz, yeah. you know, Liz obviously double, double uh, Olympian 228 for the marathon. Yeah. You know, Martin, you know, pretty decent, you know, a legitimate elite athlete. It, it would be really interesting to, to ask some of those folks who had, a, who had no disrespect to them at all, but to, an, to a level, a narrower yeah a narrower view it's a world record or it's an olympic medal or it's a world championship whatever it is is the kind of success or failure yeah and probably had less of a of a of a social aspect to their athletics a social experience it'd be interesting to see you know ron hill i remember ron hill 
writing. It was really, I felt so honoured to run. Um, you know, he ran two oh nine in nineteen seventy, nineteen seventy, I think. Um, incredible athlete in the, in the era of seventies eighties when runners were runners, as people like to say from that era. Yeah. You know, and, and he wrote to me once, and he was doing his fiftieth part run, and this was, you know, it had been seventy or something then. He wrote to me and said, "Would you mind?" if I went to my local park run and we, and we celebrated my 50th there. And I'm like, no, Ron, I wouldn't mind, <laughs> wouldn't mind at all. That'd be, uh, be an honour. And I, I mean, I, I went along, we spent some time together and it was, it was amazing. Or Dave Moorcroft, you know, world record holder for 5,000 metres. Yeah. Um, 13 minutes flat when he ran his world record. He's now the chair of the, of the non-exec board of Park Run UK. Amazing. And loves bimbling around part run in 27 you know he's had knee replacements and he bimbles around part run for him bimbles in 27 minutes 28 minutes yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know half this literally half the speed he used to, be able to run it in yeah and loves it you know yeah. and, and uh, so it'd be really interesting to you know for people like that you know who have this single-minded elite totally you know, imagine running 13 minutes flat for a part for five thousand meters i know yeah, but now no, they love it no. and now they go around at 30 bruce fordyce the same you yeah. know you could run the names who kind of roll off the tongue yes. in terms of these people who who just it i think it's transformed their view of of running yeah. and hopefully kept the performance side of it you know hopefully yeah. you know we we're very pro performance yeah no look it's tom it's been such a <laughs> such a pleasure chatting to you about Park Run because I love it so much and I'm so thrilled that it's thank you for the time being at least it's back yeah. here for us in yes. New Zealand and um and I've heard you you know you've talked about sort of where Park Run is going and you're wanting to expand into other countries and it certainly feels like it's something which is here to stay you know mm-hmm. um globally speaking so it's yeah a real honor to chat to you and um, likewise thank you and also, thank you for your time on Marathon Talk. Marathon Talk <laughs> was amazing yes, and will great. still be in the archives as being amazing yes. as well. So um, thanks so much, Tom. And you're obviously, you're on Twitter and people can go to yep. parkrun.co.uk to find their local parkrun, would that be, or uh, park, yeah, park, Google it, wherever you yeah, are. Yeah, so parkrun.com is the global site. Um, yeah. And then there's there's country sites you can link to from all of there. If you go to any, uh, what Park Run New Zealand would be parkrun.co.nz, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, and there's an events search thing on there. And I think most importantly, when, when, when we're saying to people, you know, find your local parkrun and go along, you're welcome to do whatever you want to do. Spectate, walk in an hour and a half, run it in 15 minutes, volunteer what whatever it is there for you however you and it's completely free and you yeah. you need you need to register once completely free in advance and then you can participate anywhere anywhere in the world uh, and even if you don't want to register rock a lot rock up and don't without registering if you want to and you're still welcome to take to yeah. take part you know you won't get a time but that's fine you can still start the start run the course run with other people put it on strava um, it's all there put it on strava yeah <laughs> it's all there it's all there for people and, and i think you know too often we hear I'm not quite ready yet. I'm going to train to do it. And actually, the best thing you can do is just start with start with it and get on with it. Totally agree. Tom, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Wonderful to speak.
Alright guys, hopefully you really enjoyed that. It was so good to be able to connect with Tom, particularly because it was so early in the morning for him there. And um, I found it such a great conversation. And I'm so disappointed that Marathon Talk has sort of reached its end. However, I really respect the fact that the podcast has was continuing to be successful and then they called it a day at 600 episodes. Like I think it's sort of like an athlete that decides to retire at the peak of his career or her career anyway so um next week on the podcast i am stoked to bring to you the conversation that i have with the og of the paleo space rob wolf until then though you can catch me over on facebook at mickey willardin nutrition on twitter and instagram at mickey willardin or over on my website, mickeywillardin.com, where, in addition to the meal plans, which I mentioned earlier on in the show, you can also book a one-on-one consultation with me. And so that's over at mickeywillardin.com. All right, team, you have a great week and look forward to catching you next week. See you later.